Blog Talk Radio. Hello, it is August 21st, and uh, this is Ursula Pottinger and Anne Betts, um, the co-founders of Be Above Leadership. And today's topic is, is the world unraveling at the seams? And um, if you happen to listen to um, the archived version of our radio show, um, just a, a heads up that August 21st is and um, will be the day of the solar eclipse um, and the first time in I think over 90 years that it is actually um, visible if you have a clear sky all across the United States so here we are and is the world unraveling at the seams is the topic <laughs> well and I have to say it's, it's an it's an interesting it's an interesting um, serendipity because this was originally scheduled for Wednesday and then we had to move it for a couple of reasons and um, looked and, and, and this was just a day we had time open. So here we are and I'm in um, New Mexico um, Look, and the eclipse is only partially visible from here. We're not in the direct path, but it's going to be hitting us right around the ending of this show. So I don't know, you know, you can make something of that or not. I have to say... Um, Ursula, we, you know, we kind of take turns coming up with the topics for this. And, and Ursula said, well, I just put this out as a placeholder. She said, I just put a topic out as a placeholder. She didn't tell me what it was. And I went to blog, clicked on our blog talk and, you know, a few weeks ago and I went, okay, you go girl. Like I, I sent her an email. I said, go big or go home. Cause apparently this is what we're talking about. So the world well, unraveling at the seams. Yeah. Well, it it um, the reason why I got inspired to put it out there um, is uh, through all the different uh, events that are happening in the world that people um, really have strong reactions to. And uh, when I follow some posts on uh, Facebook, social media, newspapers, and television, it really... Um, people are really saying, what the heck is going on with you know, people driving vans into crowds and, you know, all kinds of different things happening, um, both on the real and the political level. So, you know, it, 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 I'm sure it feels like this to many people. Well, and, you know, sort of in prepping for this call and, and which to be totally transparent just means Ursula and I get on the phone and riff for a little while. And then we sort of say, well, I don't know what we're talking about. Let's, Okay, go ahead. So that's about our, what our prep looks like. Um, we were talking about some things, and one of the themes that just keeps coming up right now for us at Be Above Leadership is kind of a going back to our roots, and I want to say something about that. Um, recently, a wonderful young woman interviewed me for an article, and she made the mistake that, that has happened a number of times in, in our careers with both me and Ursula, and she uh, sent me the article for my approval, thank goodness, because she listed me as a neuroscientist, and we are not neuroscientists, and the only reason we give a you know flying fig about neuroscience is that it helped us understand uh, the model of the seven levels of effectiveness. And the seven levels of effectiveness were originally ramped up or downloaded or, you know, hit us over the head or were given to us for sacred keeping. We don't even know. Because um, 
we couldn't figure out why people were doing what they're doing. Made no sense. Mm -hmm. And this insight, you know, this aha, which was not any, (laughs) in many ways, not any amazing thing, because it was one of those things that we'd been, you know, reading in various Neil Donald Walsh and uh, Abraham Hicks and people like that for years. And it finally just hit us. Oh, duh. People either act out of love or fear. Wow, mm-hmm. that kind of explains it. Who knew? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and I, you're saying it well. I mean, it. it, it I find that, uh, you know, I can read something a hundred times over years and years and years. And then there comes a point when it is really not just a light bulb, but it's a whole chandelier of light bulbs where it goes, <laughs> oh, I am now really getting it i am on a deep deep level i'm not just understanding it but i'm really getting it that it is either an iteration a version of love or a version of fear and it is all energy which to your point and is you know at least when we started with the seven levels and you know really talking about consciousness and energy as you always say you know there was a very small fan club that would come and listen to this and and learn with us until we found the neuroscience. Right. I like to say, you know, we're talking about energy and we're talking about consciousness and we have these amazing tools. We used to do these three-day workshops um, and we couldn't get arrested. And, when we brought in neuroscience, I think there was something about, and then we brought that into the coaching um, sphere as well, there's something about um, gives, giving people something to hold on to, which I think mm-hmm. our, our world needs, um, a way to understand. And so, you know, from one perspective, Ursula and I could stand here and tell you what's happening what seems to be happening, it'd be a guess, it'd be an educated guess, and we're reasonably well-educated, what's happening with the limbic system and the prefrontal cortex in the protesters, in Donald Trump, what's happening with the right and left hemisphere, what's happening with messages from the body and their ability to be translated in the brain. We could tell you all of that stuff. Um, And we're happy to, if that's what you want. But there's a bigger question which is what's happening in energy mm-hmm. yes so what's help, happening? Me, help me make the help me make the connection there ursula because i i feel like i'm being a little a little um esoteric vague. or un- vague <laughs> thank you vague vague well i think so so here is um, what i would say about the discovery process and the journey of starting with uh, something that that essentially is a consciousness model and then looking at, you know, how can we help people understand the concept of effectiveness, consciousness, and energy better that is not vague or esoteric. And then mm. bringing in this research and neuroscience helps and has helped me and you and our clients and our students make the connection that when the brain is more integrated and we have a calmer, what I would call, system, it is easier for us to make calmer, more kind and loving decisions. It's really this thing of reactivity 
you know, that's sort of like the subtitle in the blog talk radio even, you know, how is brain integration linked to being less reactive and being more peaceful mm -hmm. and open as a human being? And I think we need something scientific to help us understand it because what does it mean to feel peaceful? If you don't have something to hold on to that's logical, it's awfully hard to know what it even means. Yeah, and you know, you're making me think of, of something interesting that um, I was reading, and I was reading about non reading about nonviolence. There's been a lot of ever since Charlotte happened, and even before that, you know, there's just there's a really interesting, painful, difficult, confusing, but interesting public discussion right now, and you know, thinking about the you know teachings from Martin Luther King, from Gandhi, non nonviolence, and and um, one article that I was reading was reminding me of something I'd heard before about, because this does relate to the brain, um, nonviolence and, and what it actually takes, what it took for the civil rights protesters to sit and integrate a lunch counter and stay calm while horrible things were being yelled at them, while they were being physically assaulted, et cetera. And one of the things that it took was practice. Mm -hmm. And I was reading an article that said, you know, they would go to the, you know, somebody's basement and say horrible things to each other so they could practice, I think, probably being present to and being aware of the desire to, you know, kill the other person and make a different choice. And that's part of the process of integration is knowing we are going to have a threat response. We are going to have an amygdala threat response, whatever side we're on. And, and it is going to take over our brain, put us in what we call it, it the above the below-the-line state of consciousness, fear, anger, hopelessness, fear, frustration, hopelessness, um, and cause us to act in ways that um, are not life-affirming that are damaging mm -hmm. to life, that are sucking mm -hmm. energy from the world, creating the kind of world we all live in, and that's the nature of the below-the-line states. But it's also human. It's, mm -hmm. it's, we, you know, we get scared, we get angry, we feel threatened in any way, and our lower brain takes over. Mm -hmm. So what, what does it take and what does it mean to, to be present to this and mm -hmm. choose to respond in a different way. I'll shut up. You have something to say. I can hear it. Thank goodness. No, no, yeah, yeah. No, the, the, the word that comes up uh, for me is really uh, you're describing the experience of resilience. I mean, it's a sort of like a little bit of yeah. an overused word right now, but this whole example of, uh, you know, being in a basement and yelling, you know, nasty things at, at each other, it, it is an experience that creates resilience. And I think that, um, you know, just looking at our experience in the last, you know, 17 years, because this is the kind of work that we've been done, you know, in our, in our partnership and even before for more than probably 20 years, it's constantly looking at, oh, I'm being triggered. You know, what does that feel like? And what does my response want to be? And then what am I choosing? And over time, it's created, it, cre it really has created more resilience 
that somebody can say something to me that has, yeah. where I have a little bit of a reaction, but I'm not reacting to it right away. I'm giving myself this pause. Yeah, and and the pause for choice. And I think that this is, you know, certainly what I notice in my own life is this is very contextual. So I'll give you an example. So, you know, we, Ursula and I have been, been trainers and we've been training our own curriculum for 15 years. And, you know, what's interesting is not everybody always likes it or thinks we're wonderful. And sometimes people think that we're full of shit, excuse my language. And, and they might say that in a group of 20 people. And, you know, that's a, that's a place where I can certainly go to a, to a threat response. And I remember a, a course that I had about a, a year ago and, and had someone uh, not not sort of say that what what I was saying wasn't right, but really have a strong reaction. Um, and I'm in front of you know twelve or fifteen people needing to hold the space. I'm mm-hmm. by myself. Ursula isn't there. This person is having a very strong reaction, which is not what I had planned in terms of the learning in that moment. Legitimate for them. Nothing that they did wrong or anything. It's just human. We get. And my my resilience, my resilience, in terms of being in a room, you know, my patterning, my neural pathways, my uh, predictable pathway was to let it be, and be mm-hmm. with it, and hold it, mm-hmm. and not freak out, and not blame them. But that's years of practice um, in a training setting. And in, mm-hmm. this sort of gets into this idea of neuroplasticity and wherever we put attention is where we strengthen neural pathways. And you can, you can work that so that you can, and I'm sure many, you know, if you're a trainer and you're listening to this facilitator, you can recognize that over time you have built strength around people can kind of be a little volatile in your room and you're not going to react. Because it's really mm-hmm. necessary if you want to hold a safe container. Now, you know, I haven't been in a relationship for 10 years. I'm now nine years, whatever. Now I'm in a relationship again and and stuff comes up and I realize, oh, okay, this is a place where for nine years I haven't needed this neural pathway contextually around um, I get triggered in an intimate relationship and so I need to recover and and I, what was fascinating to me, Ursula, it's been fascinating, is, is watching myself have an amygdala hijack. Because in so many mm-hmm. areas of life, I just don't. And I thought I was over mm-hmm. it. It's so unfair. So to me, that's <laughs> you know, context. So unfair. Yes. Come on, I'm done with that. Yeah, I don't is, have amygdala hijacks. <laughs> yeah, it is contextual for sure. And then the, 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 other, the, the other thing that I, uh, I want to bring into here, there's also a difference in when we are, you know, energetically also impacted by one person versus when we are energetically impacted by 10, 20, 50, or 100. So I, I, this is sort of like a little bit, I don't know even what I want to call it, the heads up, you know, the noticing is that when we are in a group, um, whether it's protesters for or against whatever the topic is, it, there is an energetic impact of the group that we are in. And so one of the things that I think we need to be mindful of as a world is who are we with? What is the energetic yeah. impact? What's the come from place 
of the group that we are in, is it really, uh, you know, a desire, a deep desire for peace? And is it not just an action of peace, but is it really a felt reality? Is the heart of the group at peace? Because that has a huge impact on how we feel and how we react. Yeah, and so when you're talking about, you know, in this example, I think that's absolutely brilliant, Ursula. In in my example, um, I'm with a group, and one person is is having is something got triggered for for them, but the rest of the group was like they were they were wanting a good mm-hmm. outcome. They were they mm-hmm. were holding me. They were holding this other mm-hmm. person. It was not. Um, they were helping stabilize that because. This is part mm-hmm. of the great turning of our time is moving from moving from this well you know my view is our view I think is you know we came from tribal but we weren't very well differentiated then we've been 10,000 years of differentiation and who am I and how is my tribe different than yours I mean probably already always had that um but bear with me and now we're in this place where I think we're moving to how do I be both differentiated and linked, both separate and tribal, both leaning into the energy field of my group and realizing we co-create each other, and we do. And Ursula and I have researched and there's science behind how how what I'm feeling Physically, my chemicals going through my body will get replicated in the bodies of the people around me. We're not, we're not so all alone and completely, you know, responsible for every single thing. We're co-created, and yet we are also creating our own reality. So it gets yeah. really, I think, layered and fascinating. Layered, fascinated, and complicated, and you know when and, we then yeah. look at uh, looking at you know again sort of at at sections, countries, groups, whatever they are. I mean, it 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 really is you know what is what's the so the, as you say the differentiation. What's the choice I'm having, and also you know what's my contribution to it. Um, what well, what is right. the highest come from place that I can bring, you know, to whatever you know group it is? It can be family, it can be a partnership, it can be you know training, or it can be a political or whatever group. It doesn't matter. Well, it, there is a responsibility, yeah. I think. Yeah, and I yeah, I, go ahead. I, so I get so well, I get so excited about this because it's. It's you know there's lots of stuff in the world about what is leadership and you know I'm not going to claim any absolute definition but certainly probably what Ursula and I use operationally in terms of leadership in terms of how we want to show up is pretty simple leaders create the energy field and mm-hmm. there's there's two reasons behind that um, one is that you know there's an intention around it the other is that people tend to empower, give some of their energy to the leader to uh, participate in the energy field. So this can be used for good or evil. Um, there's a, an energy field that can be set. And if I'm going to show up as a leader, my question is, is, is this an energy field that, that is 
the highest possible in this instance. And sometimes if you look at our model, which is on our website, theaboveleadership.com, um, sometimes the highest thing you can do is courage. But what we would say is every human being is capable of courage, or, or maybe almost every human being, every neurotypical human being at least, is capable of courage. And maybe every human being. Um, we won't have that whole, full debate because I don't think that that's as, as important. But most of us are capable of a mm-hmm. minimum of courage. And that's a choice to not simply react and destroy. And, you know, not only are most of us capable of courage, but again, you know, looking at the seven levels of effectiveness and the above-the-line levels of courage, engagement, innovation, and synchronicity, I think there is a deep, deep, deep desire that we have as human beings, as humanity, to be encouraged to find solutions to the problems of the world. I am just thinking that some some people have a... A, a sort of a, a strange way of expressing courage as well. It's, it's you know, what's courage to you and I, and is not courage to someone else who is deeply frustrated and, and very angry. They see courage as something else or potentially well, as something would, else. Right. I mean, and I think the, the I think that's a real, oh my God, I knew we were going to go down the rabbit hole with this call. By the way, if you feel like we're not really getting anywhere, that's maybe an appropriate response at this point in the conversation. I don't know where we're even going. But one of the things I think you're raising is, well, what if we're looking at this in terms of an energy field, and our, the original work that our work at Be Above, the seven levels of effectiveness, is based on the original work, is research by David Hawkins. And so you may even want to forget the names. We may all just want to mm-hmm. forget the names because they're just placeholders. The, the name is not the thing. It's just an, a handy way to remember it. There's an energy that we're talking about. You could just think of it as number four. That is the point at which we move from number one, we call it hopelessness, to fear, three, frustration. But it basically what you're looking at is an increase in, an increase in energy. And when you shift from frustration, level three, which has more energy than fear, you can get more, you can, you can make more noise in frustration than you do in hopelessness. But it's just an energy. It's just an increase in energy. And there's a line at, at what we call courage. But let go of the name and just think there's a point at which your efforts start contributing to life, mm-hmm. to life. And there's a point at which what you're doing is bringing more destruction. And that's the tipping point. And it, for mm-hmm. us, we, you know, you have, to have, you have to have a way to talk about these things. So we talk about, you know, level four or the word that we use is courage. So what I would say to you, and I don't mean to say to you because we're just co-creating this right now, but when you say what they might think of as courage is the word courage, the question is, are there actions contributing to mm-hmm. life? Because they might think it's really courageous to go and talk about how terrible Jews are. But mm-hmm. that in an, in an energetic understanding, that is not an action that contributes to life. 
That is a destructive mm-hmm. action within their context. Yeah, you could use the word courage. You might even say, well, and we the, were very engaged, you know, engaged while we did it. Right. But it's not the it's not the moving toward love energy that we talk about in the levels of effectiveness. I'm sorry, honey, what were you going to say? What? No, I, the, 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 the other um, um, distinction here that, that you're making and that's, that really also hits home is the tipping point is also from being more separated to being more united. I mean, the, 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 yeah. the four, the, you know, the above the line levels, that energy is an energy of increasing unity. So really, the, yes. the really cool question is, is what I'm saying and doing contributing to unite or is it contributing to separation? Right, and the separation will by its very is a is an energy field that lives below the line. So here's mm-hmm. where, it, and is it contributing to love or is it contributing to hatred and fear? Is it bringing mm-hmm. more anger in the world? Is it bringing more healing in the world? And by the way, this is another thing people often, you know, question with us. We're not saying that anger is wrong. We're not saying that fear is wrong. We're not even saying that hopelessness is wrong. These are human conditions. There's a place, though, where the question is, what are you bringing to the world? You have the legitimate right to all your feelings. And in fact, probably many neuroscientists and other folks like that would say, probably don't even have a choice. You get flooded, you're angry, you know, to some degree, that's what it is. We do, though, have this choice to say, will I use that to motivate me to act toward love or fear, toward unity or separation? What am I going to do with this motivation, with this feeling? How am I going to bring it out in the world? And by the way, we all fail constantly. Mm -hmm. My hand's up. How about yours, Ursula? You know, Mm, I get angry. Completely. I get afraid, and with before I can think of it, I have done something or said something to someone I love that is not bringing more unity to the world, that is not bringing more love to the world, that is actually, and one of the reasons we call it seven levels of effectiveness is, frankly, when I do that, yeah, there's a fair amount of time I then need to invest in in reparations if I want to continue to have a relationship with in that prison, but we we all fail. I fail yeah. on a daily yeah. basis. Yeah, no, it's a. I mean, it is uh, again. It is the human condition. Um, I, I, you know, and again, your your comment of like, where is this going, and is it going anywhere? Was really <laughs> that was really cool because you know, the, the the issue with it is it is so vast. There are so many different places to go. Um, so this is by way of saying one of the be- best training fields, the gym of my life, are, you know, is this microcosm of my life, is my personal relationship, my family relationships, you know, my relationships with you, my clients, you know, it's this little microcosm of my world. That's yeah. my gym. And if I can practice within that little gym, I'm far stronger and more equipped to face the bigger world. And so I think yeah, one of the things that's, that, I'm, that I'm really seeing is 
that we all need to look at the microcosms of our world and find a gym in which we can really practice um, this <laughs> My shift, best. you know. My, well, I'm, I'm giggling, and I want to say something and make this bigger and come back to this is the world unraveling question, but, you know, my, oh, my God, this was my CrossFit. This was my, like, boot camp was raising a teenager as, as a, you know, mostly single mom, and he, his dad participated. Um, but I had him on my own a lot, and, and it certainly emotionally I was largely the, the one parent who was there. And, a, you know, a teenage boy. And I didn't understand his responses and reactions. And, you know, they can be really mean sometimes without, I think, even realizing mm-hmm. it. And, and you know, this train, I used to say Noah is my Zen master. And people would mm-hmm. think, oh, this must be this amazing little Buddha child. And if you know my son, he's, oh, he is amazing and brilliant and will probably grow up to be a Buddha. But he was not a Buddha when he was 14 years old. He was a pain in the ass. <laughs> um, <laughs> As I said, no, no, no. He's one of those Zen masters who hit you over the head with a board until you wake up. Um, <laughs> both in terms of me learning how to be present to my own discomfort without yelling at another human being, and also sometimes to listen to some hard truths and take them on. Remember one time I had yelled at him and it wasn't his fault and I had been, I was stressed and I was reactive and I kind of, you know, was not a nice mom. And I later apologized and he said to me, he said, you know, mom, um, you can apologize, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ouch. And ouch. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch, that was like heavy weight in the gym dropping on my foot. Um, But, you know, if I can stand in that, if I can get past the discomfort of this hard truth, I can use that to be a better person. Um, And think about that in all of my relationships. And so that was a huge contribution in a very unfiltered way. And there were many of them. So I think this is, you're right. This was the microcosm. So then the question is, okay, fine. Your personal relationships, you have a stake there. You have, you know, hopefully connections of love. What about when we're talking about some of what we've been seeing in quote, I hate to even call it leadership uh, because it's certainly not any kind of leadership that I would uh, approve of or, or condone, but you know, public, our public, we'll call it that our, our, our public, our, our leaders, quote unquote, um, you know, we don't like them. (laughs) One in particular whose approval rating I think is pretty darn low right now. And, you know, even the people who have traditionally liked him are, are bailing, you know, what, what are we called to then? You know, is it okay to, to like, what's, what are we called to? Oh yeah. Good question. I mean, that is, that I think is, you know, really, you know, the title of the call, the the show today is, is the world unraveling at the seams. But I think maybe a better title would have been, um, you know, if it is unraveling, what are we called to? You know, what are we called to yeah. when we see, when we hear? Um, and it's a question that, quite frankly, um, I don't have an answer to. The only thing I do know is that 
wherever we are, whatever we feel, if if I feel angry and I act from there, I will just create more of the same. If I am afraid and I act from fear, I will create more of the same. That's the only thing I know. It, It is like, it's sort of like, you know, folks, this is the law, who you're being are the results you're creating. This is the law. So, well, you know, you can just relax looking at that. And here I think is, so I want to share two stories that I've heard on social media that I think are really good um, that illustrate this. And, but I think here's part of the problem. Um, in the, it's the difference between long and short term. Yeah. Because who you are being are the results you're getting. If you come in and start yelling at your husband and why didn't you do this and why didn't you do that, you know, he's probably going to be pissed off back to some degree. I mean, he's quite a, he, your husband's a quite a forgiving guy, but at some point you're just going to create that and it's going to be pretty immediate. Yes. There are times where, where we are required to come from love, come from love, come from love. And we've just got to hope that the long term. um, makes it happen. And I, two, two stories, one short one um, was just an article about a former white supremacist and thinking about the issues and the, the incidents in Charlotte who said um, who had, who had changed his mind. And there's a number of stories of people like this. And he said, what caused him to change his mind were not people yelling at him. He said it was the amazing kindness that he experienced mm-hmm. from Jews, mm-hmm. from blacks, from people that he hated who responded to him with kindness that he couldn't resist. There's another video that's gone somewhat viral. It's an African-American man who befriended members of the Ku Klux Klan, and he just sat down. And I I watched a while ago, so if I'm misremembering, you know, I'm sure somebody will correct me, but he would just sit them down and invite them to lunch and be curious. And he said, mm-hmm. we know this as, as coaches, he said, after a while, if you're curious about someone long enough, they start getting curious about you. Yep. And I think he's personally responsible for changing the hearts of 200 Ku Klux Klan members, including the Grand Dragon. And he didn't do it. And I, and I don't mean to say this is not, let me just say this, we are not saying you're bad, you're wrong if you go out and wave signs around. This is not that at all. I just find it fascinating what happens when we come from love. Yeah, that is really, that is really, really powerful. And again, my my guess would be that this man has used somehow his life as the gym so that he can be resilient to a certain amount of closeness and, you know, not close as being close, but shut down and judgmental and aggressive. You know, he, he has somehow in the gym of his life creating this really amazing resilience that he can patiently sit there and wait and talk and be continuously curious without feeling personally attacked and feeling personally like I am in a danger zone or something like that. Yeah, and I I don't know enough, and and now that I mention it, I I wish I I don't even remember his name, but it's been knocking around Facebook, and um, you could probably find it if you just Googled the right thing. Um, Because I'm now going to go back and look at it and see what he said. There's a – 
but I like how you say it. This is sort of goes back to the training in the basement. And this also goes back to the, you know, what we know is the subtleties of love. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, this was a really hard lesson for me. So I was married to a man who I loved very much, who just had a lot of struggle on his own with depression. And um, often that would manifest as anger, which is one of the things we know is a little more common for men than for women. And I didn't know this at the time. I didn't have any of the background that I had. I just knew it was kind of painful and he got mad a lot. And so my response was, for many years, was to be as nice as I possibly could and Mm -hmm. tell him it was all going to be okay and, oh, you know, and I'm sorry and how can I help and, you know, and a little embarrassing, but, you know, it was really just like don't hit me, (laughs) kind of. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I got divorced, which was nine years ago, and I, I said to Ursula, our model doesn't work. Because we have said love conquers fear. Now, I know you have to stick it for the long time, but I was married for 18 years and he won. Fear won. His Mm -hmm. anger and his bitterness, it won. So about a year after the marriage ended, a year, you know, a year later, because I'm a little bit of a slow learner apparently about personal (laughs) things, one day I had this huge, I was like, oh, that wasn't love. It took me a year. Mm -hmm. That was fear, being nice. Disguise. So love Mm -hmm. that love is not fear being nice. Love is not placating. Love, which would have been really hard and would have really taken a lot for me and I would have had to really grow, love would have said, cut it out. You're better than this. Mm -hmm. Let's work on this. What's another way? Love would have hung in there. Love wouldn't have said, you're being a jerk and that's okay. Because that's not when we love someone, we want them to be the best they can be. I think this is what our soul wants for ourselves and why it gives us challenges so we can step up and be more of who we really are. Not just be comfortable being a jerk. (laughs) You know, I think um, uh, in some ways, um, this last uh, thing that you were saying is really re- really resonates for me in regards to you know the world. I I think the what we are seeing is not so much an unraveling at the seams. I think what we are seeing is a calling forth that we can be more than what we have been. It's also true that for many many years, especially in the more in the Western Hemisphere, we've been complacent. We've been just sort of muddling along and enjoying our own lives and our own prosperity and, you know, that, you know, and, you know, nice bank account is, was, was (laughs) our happiness. And again, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that, and including myself, I've been complacent. It's like, oh, all is good in the world. Well, no, all is not good in the world. And so maybe this, uh, this unraveling is not an unraveling. It's a calling forth that we can be more than we thought we could be. And and really calling into being warriors of love. So let me add another layer to this. And Ursula, I've been meaning to talk with you about this, and if you haven't seen it, remind me and I'll send it to you. I posted it on my Facebook page. There is a brilliant video by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Brilliant. Really? I've got to tell you what he (laughs) said. O-M-G. 
I'm like never been a huge fan of Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm no, not a I'm Republican, just sort of but I'm, this is I'm like totally ready to vote for him. Like whatever, you know, he's not eligible to be president because he wasn't born here. But this is leader. It's leadership, and one of the things he says, I want to point you to, because you're going to love this. He says, um, so it's 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 you know. It's not quite the way that I would put it, but one of the things he starts talking about is he says to the neo-Nazis, you have picked, I wish I could do his accent. <laughs> he says, your people are losers. I could. You probably could. They're, you're, you're, they're, you, your heroes are losers. And this is where I want to bring it back to love because, and, and sort of maybe elevate his words a little bit because there's really useful. He said, look, I knew Nazis. I knew people who came back from the war who had been Nazis. Let me tell you what they were like. They were deeply Mm -hmm. ashamed. They were deeply Mm -hmm. depressed. And I think about if we love people, and this is, give me a little space here because I know okay, you could just click off right now because I'm telling you to love the Nazis. But let me just give me a little space here. You know, from our common humanity, not standing up or not creating a new way. I'm not even sure what to say, but for a soul to have to live with the doing horrendous, being that hateful, is a painful, painful thing for the soul. So mm-hmm. one of the things, and I think about this even, on, and I think about my ex-husband. You know, I know there's pain and shame and guilt there about who he was. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. me tolerating it and me being nice and me saying, oh, honey, I know, and it's so hard, and how can I help you, rather than saying, hey, this is not my fault and we need to get you some help. Because I love you. Mm-hmm. And this is not who you are. This is not who your soul is. You're better than this. And I'm going to fight for you, not at you, not with you. I'm going to fight for you. Mm -hmm. That is what his soul wanted, and I couldn't do for him. Mm -hmm. So it's easier for me to think about, easier for all of us to think about, this like when I when you think about like my you know you can understand my and my ex-husband but imagine now that you had a son or a daughter who for whatever reason got in with the wrong crowd and they're young and they found meaning in whatever they were doing with the whatever hateful group they were with whether it was a gang or Nazis or white supremacists or whatever they were but this is your child that you know that you see, you would want to fight for their soul. You would know from mo- in most cases that the soul is bigger and better than that, than who they're being. And it wouldn't just be smash them, kill them, burn them, lock them up. It would be how do we bring you back to who you really are? Mm-hmm. How do mm-hmm. we help you find your essential humanity? And we don't do that through shooting we don't do that through yelling yeah and i think we don't we we don't raise this question enough 
this question of remembrance, and this is what really, you know, resonates uh, for me uh, on a really deep level. I mean, I really believe that, you know, you know, as a coach, for example, in my work, my my main agenda and my stake is help people remember who they really are because they're forgotten. Who they were born and to be or who they're who becoming. Who were they born to be, yeah. who they are, mm-hmm. who they, you know, I mean, as as you know, I was just fortunate enough to uh, witness mm. the birth of my mm. second granddaughter. Mm. And there she mm. is, the original, all good, all loving, all vulnerable soul without mm. any yet of the influence of humanity in all its great and all its dark forms. Yeah. And then I'm looking at my two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter who has had a really tough time in her new kindergarten, in a new daycare, because there are a couple of kids in there that are very mean. And so she's coming mm-hmm. back and saying things, just repeating things that she's hearing, whose meaning she doesn't even know what it is. And I'm looking at her and I'm going and I'm thinking, you are you are this original soul of who you are being and have always been, is already being influenced by some of the bullying at the age of two and a half, and my heart wants to break. And then your you know your job is not to cut that off like a cancer, cut her off, decide Mm -hmm. she's bad. It's to help her remember who she is, and this is our. This is our process. Make me think of, there's a beautiful story, um, Jack Hornfield's in one of Jack Hornfield's books, I think is where it's from, and he tells the story of this woman whose son gets killed um, by a gang initiation. And they know who killed him, and the, the, this boy goes to jail, this young man goes to jail, and in the courtroom, the mother of the, this mother comes in and as the son as the other kid gets sentenced and is leaving the courtroom this woman says i'm going to kill you so the boy he's a, he is a boy he goes to jail and the mother of the dead son starts visiting him bringing him things talking to him bringing him cigarettes this goes on for a number of years i don't know how long a couple of years And she's the only one that goes to see him, talk with him. And then as he's getting ready to be released, she says, do you have anywhere to go? And he says, no. And she said, you're going to come home with me. So she takes him home. Oh, God. He lives there. Yeah, she takes him home. He lives there for a year or two. She's got him going to church, making dinner, you know, going back to school, all of that. And she sits him down at some point and she says, "Um, I lost my son. I want to adopt you. Wow. Ma'am. Are you there? Wow. Yeah, I'm here. She says, I thought I lost a connection. He says, yes, ma'am. You said you were going to kill me. She said, yeah, I did. She mm-hmm. said, there is no trace. Who could There's kill no another trace human left. being? Yeah. He's gone. I've killed him. I want you to be my son. Wow. Wow, that I guess, is... <laughs> That's my question. Wow, how do we kill it? Yeah, how we kill it with, with kindness. I mean, you know, there's a song, I think. 
<laughs> killing with Love killing with kindness. And it doesn't mean nice, and it doesn't mean condoning. And oh, and I don't know in a public policy or protest way. I don't have the answer. I only have the question because I think it's the only thing that works. I think it's the only thing that's ever worked, ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Love. that uh, that 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 energy, that vibration, that expression is irresistible but we really need to look at it long term just like your example um, with your ex-husband and you know there might not be an immediate you know gratification I mean this is this is the other thing that I think people misunderstand it to be it's like okay we love people or we love someone and immediately you know they love us back or whatever but it doesn't work that way yeah. it doesn't it might take no. free, it might take years or it might never happen but the question is more about who are we wanting to be not what's the necessarily the immediate gratification and the results is who do you who do we all want to be as the original kind and loving soul that we are well, and I think this is also when we think about the highest field in the seven levels of effectiveness is synchronicity. And we, we talk about this a lot in our classes. And one of the things I always tell people is Ursula and I have been talking about synchronicity, this energy field for, you know, 12 to 15 years, and we still don't understand it. So <laughs> just to let you know, it's not simple. It's, it's a place of huge paradox. Um, but there's something about, too, that – in this field, which is really the place of unconditional love, love for whatever happens, finding the perfection in whatever happens, having the courage to use teeth when you need to to put a, make a stand about something because you're loving yourself as well as everyone involved, re- helping them in some way return to their original soul. One of the things that happens in that field is it's not linear. It's not if I love this person, they will change, but somehow maybe something else happens. Maybe another person spontaneously abandons their white supremacy. You don't know because it's not a linear one-to-one field. It's a powerful Mm -hmm. force field, and it's hard Mm -hmm. to know your impact because it's not measurable in the way it is in some of the lower energy fields. Yeah, but I think I think your point that I forget sometimes is too. This is also the place, and you know, I don't live here. I I I I, I you know aspire, but um, but I forget that it's ultimately who do I, as you were saying, who do I want to be? Have I been mm-hmm. as loving mm-hmm. as I possibly can? And where was the courage in that? Mm-hmm. It's not just niceness. It's really not. So what did I do from love for everyone? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I think it's also the willingness to fail and be wrong. And know that sometimes if you if you say something maybe on social media that feels courageous to you, some people may like it and others may be upset. And maybe there was a context, oh, my God, you know, I'm a white girl from Minnesota. I'm Norwegian, for God's sake. There's a whole shitload of stuff I don't understand. Mm-hmm. And can I have the courage to step in anyway and have people say, you do not get my experience, and be open to that? Yes. 
Yeah, and, and you know, <sighs> I think this, this could this could definitely be true about the radio show. I'm sure that there are people that are going to listen and go, you know, what do you know and what do we know? The only thing <laughs> I do know is that 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 this that the openness, the curiosity, and the willingness to be in the conversation, no matter how hard it gets, has the ability to change things. Yeah. Especially if we let go of our addiction to immediate predictable results. Yes. Yep. 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 And that's really. I'm an addict. Uh, you're I'm an addict. Right. <laughs> I, I, right. I well, no. Totally, I totally <laughs> get it. Oh, my God. Yes. Good, gosh, I've been married for 40 years and there have been really immediate results that I've been wanting and still am wanting and they haven't happened yet. And we've been yeah. chipping away at them for 40 years. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it would be lovely. So I think in, in closing, I think um, the, the, the maybe the message, the, the multiple messages, but one of the messages from, from me to our audience is that ultimately at the end of the day what's important is that you can look at yourself and ask yourself, was I the best that I could be? What did I bring? Did I bring something that uh, that connects us and unifies us, or did I bring something that you know puts more of a wedge and more separation into the system? And just know that the wedge part, you can you know in many ways it's easier. You know, finding the finding the group that believes what you believe and you can be part of it is easier than trying to bring everything together. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, and Ursula and I have had lots of conversations about whether the world is, is really ready for that conversation. But I think that the great leaders and teachers of all time, it's all been what they said. You know, um, every, it's, it's, we're not saying anything new. We didn't create this. We're just regurgitating something. I think also the other piece that I would leave as a practical piece is look for the, the gym of your life. Mm-hmm. What is the easy yeah. thing you can lean into a bit and practice being less reactive? Because that'll build the neural connections for calming yourself down. And give yourself mm-hmm. a huge pat on the back if you've already done this, because probably most of you have in some areas. And then say, okay, well, you know, I learned how to not react to my mother in law. Good for you. You have brought more peace to the world. Great. And then for all of us, myself included, well, what's the next heavy weight? What's the next really hard place? Because I think that keeps us more able to not get lost in the anger, fear, and hopelessness of the current public conversation. And I'm not saying that it isn't enraging, scary, and hopeless. It is. But if I get lost in those energy fields, I'm not effective. And that's what I want for all of us is be effective. And if you can practice recovering, it'll just have you more effective while you're motivated by your anger, fear, or frustration, or hopelessness. Yeah. 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 No, that's, uh, that's beautiful. Um, if you, um, if, if you as the listener, first of all, thank you for listening and, uh, giving us the space and the time to, uh, 
uh, noodle around and unpack in the only way we know how, which is uh, through conversation and going in, into various directions uh, for listening and, and giving us that space. We really, we appreciate it more than you can possibly imagine. Um, if you want to find out more of what we do and how we do it, please visit our website, Be Above Leadership. Dot com where you also find the seven levels of effectiveness and uh, and an ebook that tells you more about the neuroscience of effectiveness as well. So Anne, any last words? words? <laughs> <laughs> love is the love is the hardest game there is. It is. It's a it's and an it endless is, it's journey. It's the only game. Yes. Yeah, it is the only is. game, and and we want you to know, uh, to remember yourself as the loving light being that you were meant to be, and 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 to just remember that on a daily basis, um, not only for other people but also uh, for yourself. And that's sort of where my that's my weakest aspect. I can see it in everyone mm. else, but you know, it it would be it would be great if I could stretch into seeing it in myself a little bit more as so as for all of us thank you as ursula said thank you for listening and join us next month where we'll be talking about something else thanks ursula yes thanks and take care bye-bye bye-bye everybody